Welcome to the Extra Pass podcast presented by Melbourne United. I'm your host, Ben Hopkins, joined as always by my co-host, Adam Ballinger. Balls, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, off two wins. Uh, it's exciting to come in here with such a good team and talk about them. Yeah, and coming off, obviously, the multicultural game, it's so exciting. It's an exciting episode for us as well. We're, we'll we'll break down round four, and then we're going to have a Melbourne Tigers legend and championship-winning assistant coach, Al Westover, join us in the back half of the episode. But we will start with the multicultural game. Obviously, we've we've just come off it, dampened a little bit by the weather, but still so many people there, so many people getting involved. How was it for you? Yeah, it was cool. Uh, my job was a little easier because of the weather. Uh, the, all the setup outside was well, that's kinda, all that matters then. Yeah, <laughs> kind of taken away from us, um, which is a bit disappointing, honestly. It's such a big thing, and it's really, really cool to see everything set up and the different activations that are going on and all the music and everything. But, um, you know, other than the fact that we had to move it inside, it was just a, it was a hit, man. It looked like a sellout again. I don't know the, the official numbers, but uh, people are packed in there having fun. The vibe is, is really good, and then, you know, the product on the court couldn't be much better. Yeah, and I think it's obviously something we touched on with Reese last week, but uh, something really important to the club and to the city to have so many people from so many diverse cultures come in and just enjoy basketball because that's something that Joe spoke about a lot last week, saying that it doesn't matter where you're from, who you like, how tall you are, blah, blah, blah. If you like basketball, you're always welcome at a Melbourne United game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, plenty of different, all types of people walking around at United games, and, and all are welcome. That's every game, though, too, but it's, it's definitely highlighted, I'd say, the multicultural game. And all were welcome to see United pick up a big win against the New Zealand Breakers in the multicultural game. We'll start there, and then we'll, we'll circle back to Illawarra, but... Just an awesome game. Competitive, hard fought, two quality teams out there. Yeah, New Zealand uh, definitely wasn't wasn't scared coming in or anything like that. They they wouldn't go away. Um, I like, I'm anxious to hear your analysis of the game. But um, if we you know we skip all the way to the end, but in the fourth quarter, the, it just felt like there were some threes that if you're New Zealand, you just throw your hands up and like well, you know what else are we going to do? You know we're cutting off all these lanes and there's just every pass is another weapon for him, another weapon the ball goes to. And Chris does what he does best is hit a couple really backbreaking threes that were not good shots. I mean he had to shoot them because it ended the shot clock, but most people aren't going to make those, and those kind of count for double sometimes. Yeah, you talk about Chris, and you can lump Ian into that as well. Just four for 10, uh, sorry, eight for 10 on their threes on the night. What's it like to have that, that sort of, those sort of shooters as your teammates that you know I can just find them and they can create or they can make sure, they can make big shots when needed or what's it like being on the other side just, as you said, just having, you know, 23 seconds of good defense and then someone just puts up a three and cashes it. Yeah, it's a bit demoralizing uh, to be the defense um, and, you know, they, they like I said def defensively they were really good on a couple of those plays and it's like uh, we can't do much more than that even the coach I mean if you're watching film and you're watching the game as a coach it's, there's no one to yell out <laughs> after he makes those shots it's like I you know I, I your guess is as good as mine but if you got those guys on your team and you have a team like Melbourne United is right now it's such a good it's it's just a great bailout you know it's like you can take chances I can drive on this guy or I can um, take a couple extra dribbles or try and make this pass and if it doesn't work we've got so many like we kick it back out or we try to get the offensive rebound and kick it back out. It's just kind of, there's always a cushion kind of a, of two guys that are standing around the perimeter that can always just catch and shoot. Yeah. How's that got to feel for Chris 
he's someone that across his entire career has just had so much attention paid to him on the three-point line. But now teams perhaps can't do that as much because you've got equally as good a shooter in IC sitting there waiting for his opportunity. Yeah, I, I mean, Chris has evolved. You know, his game, he's getting getting older. Um, not too old yet, but he's getting older. And, and when you do that, your game evolves. You know, the ball's not in his hands as much as far as playmaking. Um, but if you are a shooter and you're waiting out there at the three-point line or in your spots, it helps so much to have the ball movement and the, the players that we do that, you know, guys can't just stay on them. You know, you can't put two guys or one guy on Chris and never leave them. Um, and that's that's how you get shots, good ball movement and other guys that can play basketball. And it's, I'm sure just, you know, he's just having a ton of fun, you know, just to be able to stand there and know that eventually the ball's going to get to you. Yeah, and I thought a guy who was absolutely elite at finding our shooters, whether it be Ian, Chris, anyone out there, Shay. Shay Ely stepped up big without Matthew Delvadova in the lineup this week, but Shay Ely really stepped up, and I can't count how many possessions he would get a lane, cut down the middle, drawing the defense and then he's just whack out to out to a shooter in the corner or out to a shooter on the wing and it's just cash yeah can't say enough about Shea I know he doesn't really want anybody talking about him <laughs> or that that's the, the way he kind of carries himself he just does so many of those things that um aren't as fun or aren't as sexy I guess you could say um but I mean he's always there he's all the effort's always there he's always defensively he's always there he's always making the extra pass and he's always uh the extra just, pass you say yeah, the extra pass, uh, pun intended. Um, <laughs> but he's all you know, like he's just such a solid guy to have around, you know, top to bottom. Yeah, and he found Ariel skying high for a few alley oops. Going back to the Illawarra game, Ariel has a career high twenty one points, ten boards, some blocks, some steals. The growth of Ariel this year has just been so cool to see. I guess for for us, for me, I'm not going to speak for you, balls, but for me seeing the amount of work he put in and seeing how in the preseason you could just slowly see him ramp up and then to get to the point where he's just so confident and he's just trying to put it on everybody it's been awesome to see so far yeah and I don't think he's trying to do things that he's not ready to do yet either like he stays in his lane as far as he's catching oops around the rim you know he's he's got a really good uh one or two dribble floater that I've seen him pull out a couple times but he's not like oh, I need the ball in the post I need to I need three back down dribbles and I need to make this move or I need a couple shots, you know, from three. Cause that's what, that's what NBA scouts want to see. He's, he's playing his game and he's, he fits in so well and he'll fit in with any team because any team likes to drive and throw alley-oops or any team likes to have that back line that he provides of, if I get up on my guy and I get beat, I'm not too worried because he's always there, hands up seven, one jumping straight up in the air. And it just um, provides that cushion on defense, which is uh, hard to find. Yeah, and on, on offense, you, you talk about that physicality. We saw it against uh, the Hawks. Lockie Olbrick fouls out in six and a half minutes. And then you see it in New Zealand where Mango Matiang fouls out in, well, oh, it couldn't have been more than 10 minutes. What's it like just to, I, I mean, we talked about demoralizing threes, but then to have your big guys who you're wanting to lock down, wanting to hold down the paint, and then you just have a force like Ariel who's just barging inside and drawing fouls. Yeah, I think that's part of uh, the result of not being able to double team a guy like Ari because who are you going to double team mm. him with? You know, a, a big guy like that, you would if they had the ball in their hands, you usually send a double so you wouldn't get the guy guarding him in, in foul trouble and leave him on an island. But I just, you know, I, I don't know who you, who you send. Like, who do you send from our shooters to help down low when the ball's getting kicked out anyways? Um, 
I just think, yeah, if we have one-on-one matchups throughout the game, you know, we're going to come out on top usually. Yeah, and especially you talk about not doubling in the post. A guy who didn't see a lot of doubles in the post, Joe Lualichul Jr., he's back, plays both games off the bench, instant impact. You know, it, it didn't seem like there was any rust. He was just aggressive, taking it to people at the hoop, blocking shots on the other end. And especially when he's got it in the post, I, I feel like his ability when the double comes or when the help comes to find people, but when that help isn't coming, he's just ultra confident that it's a bucket. Yeah, I think old school basketball fans will love seeing Joe come back because of he does post up. Like he does wait on that that left block, I guess. Yeah, if you're facing the hoop, we're talking about the left block. Um, and the guys look for him. Everyone's yeah, yeah, it's no, a, no. It's like a go-to. Yeah. It's not like, oh, we need to run a bunch of sets. like, nah, dish it to Joe, and Joe's going to make something. Yeah, happen. absolutely. And that used to be much more of a focus in basketball, uh, you know, top to, you know, NBL, NBA, whatever. It was get the ball in the post to the big man, let him make a couple dribbles, a couple moves, and see what he can do. And it, most of basketball has gone away from that. And unless you have a guy that can score so consistently down there is, and is so comfortable down there in the post, um, yeah, it's good to see. I mean, very, you know, we're not just three-point shooters. We're not just running guns. Sometimes we, we like some old-school post moves too. You played with a guy like that in college. Play with Zach Randolph. As a shooter yourself, were you just loving playing with Zebo? I know you guys sort of crossed over the power forward position a bit. Yeah. Someone you could dish it into or you knew if he had it in the post, there's usually help coming and an open shot coming. Yeah, no. Well, back then I wasn't – I mean, I was a shooter. They knew I could shoot, but you have very specific rules. You're from Indiana. So <laughs> well, no, I could definitely shooter. shoot. Always could. But uh, I was younger then, so he – you know, and he had come in at high, so highly talented, touted. Uh, he only played one year, um, and it wasn't like I was like – <laughs> handling the ball in the perimeter and I was could just decide when I wanted to pass it to him when I didn't we always had set plays and if I was playing I was usually the uh, the decoy to get the ball into Zebo. um he yeah he's a he was a um anomaly I guess you could say like I just he couldn't jump uh, we're about the same height he could not jump I mean he could jump I, I could jump higher than he could and I cannot jump couldn't jump very high well you're an athlete you can still dunk I could, yeah but I'm quite quite tall so <laughs> I don't know that's that's bragging but he had hands that were just the ball. They weren't. It wasn't like he just catch everything. The ball actually like came to him somehow. We say he had magnetic hands, quick feet, and just confidence that never wavered ever. He came in knowing how good he was. Um, coaches could get you down, and they could be you know they're on top of you all the time, yelling, screaming. It never bothered Zebo. He just he he lights up a room whenever he walks in, and uh, I don't know. He just like. It never, it never thought came into his mind of I'm going to have a bad game this game or I'm going to miss this shot. It didn't matter if he missed a shot, he got it on his own rebound anyways and put it back in. Um, and for him to have the career he had is is amazing. Like he just, I, I tell you, he's big, but he wasn't an athlete at all. And he he got so many rebounds and scored so close to the basket over guys two, three, four, five inches taller than him. When you talk about confidence, obviously this is something super important for an athlete to have, but. I guess when you look at our team and you have Joe, you have Chris, you have Ian, you have even guys like coming off the bench in Tanner who are just ultra confident in their ability to put the ball in the hole. How much does that help everyone around just knowing that, oh, when the shot goes up, I'm confident it's going in. And even if it's not, I'm confident they're still going to get a good shot next time out. Yeah, uh, I think right now is they're in basketball heaven a little bit right now. Now there's ups and downs during the season. You know, there's there's going to be games we're not playing very well or we play well and, and still lose and, and you'll deal with that then. But I don't think you'd be going much better right now. You know, I'm not a coach. I'm not in on the X's and O's parts. I'm sure there's parts we can improve, but 
just I think top to bottom, you've got guys who can play and who want to be out there for each other too. Like it looks like a happy squad, a happy locker room. Uh, and when you're winning and around guys that love playing basketball and, and love to get along and just hang out, it's um, there's no job in the world better than that. Yeah, and you talk about that and there's still Matthew Delvadova to add back into the fold. We haven't seen this team fully healthy for a single second yet. How exciting must that be once Delhi is able to get over that concussion stint and get back on the floor? Yeah, it is. It's just another weapon. It's another guy who provides slightly different things too, you know, with Delhi and his hustle and what he can do defensively and um, push the ball and get it to the right guys and, you know, the scoring weapon he provides. You know, I don't know. I think the only problem is there's only one ball. Maybe we can write a letter to the league or... Um, At least give us two. Somebody, yeah, two balls. I mean, two balls would be probably fun to watch. I don't know how that would work, but the crowd would probably love that. At least for a quarter, maybe second quarter two ball rule. Maybe put it like a power play. Yeah, yeah, like you can throw a flag or something and that starts your two-minute power play with two balls. Maybe if you win your coach's challenge, you get a minute of two balls. <laughs> I like it. I mean, I, I mean, it, it's probably got a while till they put it in, but it's going to come eventually. Kids are going to get bored with, they're going to say it's a boring game. Kids don't have the, the, uh, the bandwidth to, to pay attention to these type of things. Well, let's add two balls. Well, we've broken down an amazing round four for Melbourne United, but I want to look back even further after the break when we have Melbourne Tigers legend Al Westover come in. He's going to talk through the Tigers' inaugural championship in 1993, which we will be celebrating on Sunday afternoon at John Kane Arena. So after the break with Al Westover. Melbourne United memberships are on sale now. Lock in your seat for the most exciting show in Australian sport and guarantee you're there for every highlight across next season. To find out more, go to membership.melbourneutd.com.au. And we're back on the Extra Pass podcast presented by Melbourne United and we're joined by a very special guest, 1993 Melbourne Tigers Championship winning assistant coach Al Westover. Thanks for being here, Al. Oh, thanks for having me. You uh, do many podcasts? No. <laughs> this is official. I mean, we got headphones. Nice. <laughs> nice. They're not all like this. Sometimes you're just doing them on uh, on the computer, but this is this is luxury. Yeah, well, I'm impressed. <laughs> no, well, we're, we're very thankful to have you here because obviously we want to talk everything about that 93 t- Tigers season because the the 20, uh, sorry 30-year anniversary coming mm. up this weekend, we're going to celebrate it at the United versus Illawarra Hawks game. I guess first things first, can you just, can you take me through your memories from that season? Uh, yeah, well, we, we had lost in 92 to the Magic, so, you know, that was a big loss. And then we had Bradkey coming in the lineup so we're, we're all very excited for that season you know and at that time you know I mean it is now too but it, it was huge especially the Melbourne rivalries with mm. us and uh, the Giants and the Magic and really a golden time for Victorian basketball because Magic won in 92 we won in 93 then the Giants won in 94 so uh you know great great rivalries there but um we're excited with the hoagie coming into it, but uh, we, we didn't gel early in the year. I can't remember our exact record, but we, we were under 500. We were like two and five or something and down to Geelong by like 15 going to the fourth quarter. It wasn't looking good, and we turned that around and got a win, and then we kind of clicked into gear as everyone got more familiar with each other. And um, I think... I'm pretty sure the Tigers had never won in Perth before. And I, I remember an early season game there. They they hammered us by 30, 35 points. 
And uh, yeah, I remember we're all flying back, and you're all kind of down and dejected. And then later, when we, we won the grand final there, that flight back took like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, wow, we're here, right? You know, but um, it was great to turn things around. But a uh, very talented group, uh, you know, very talented group with Gaze, Copeland, Bracky, you know, Dave Simmons was there, Giddy, Whitehead, so uh, Ray Gordon. Yeah, a very uh, talented group, a veteran group, and um, you know they rose to the challenge. And I think people are written us off because we won the first one in Melbourne, then we went there and lost game two, and mm. everybody was saying it was over, and they were getting ready to celebrate, saw the balloons and all that. And um, I don't know, it, it just had a real good feel though. When you think back to the game, it wasn't like we were nervous or anything. Everyone felt real confident and, and good about our chances and. Went out and played a, a good game and got the championship. Yeah, I was going to say, is that something that sort of goes into it just for context? So you win game one, go back to Perth. This is a best of three series. So you go back to Perth, lose game two. And then, like you said, Melbourne, the Tigers had never won in Perth mm. before. So is that a conversation that happens or is it just complete and utter focus on it doesn't matter where we are, we just got to get this win? Yeah, I, I don't think it was really talked about. You know, you're in the final and you're thinking, oh, we got to win one more and we're home. And if anything, maybe a, a bit tight or nervous with game two. I, I think when you get to that third game, it's just like, you just go for it now, you mm. know. And, um, you know, that's when teams play their best, when they're just reacting and, and, and playing. And, you know, it was probably our best, one of our best defensive games of the year. We did a great job and, and, I don't know how much you guys have talked about, but Leonard had a real big game and huge. Yeah, and I remember Lindsay saying to a t during a timeout because they had Ricky Grace on them, and Lindsay's like, "Hey, you know, you can take him." <laughs> <laughs> and not that Leonard really needed any, any yeah, pushing. Any extra push. So was it's a three game series? Is that how it was run? Then yeah. it was it was yeah. a home, and then two in Perth. Yeah, it was away then home for two. Away than home. Yeah. So that might have helped us in that oh, first okay. game at right. Melbourne and, yeah. and winning that. But then they, once it went to the third game, the vantage was, I guess. And yeah, back with Perth. Yeah. And that 93 is the height of, what, what was the height of 90s? Because it was huge. NBL was huge in the 90s, right? Yeah, so yeah. it was 93, yeah. kind of that, that, that time, that 92, 93, 94, or was it a little bit later in the 90s where it was? Uh, no, I think the early 90s, it was huge. Because I, I can remember, um, was it, I think it was that year, or maybe the next year. Yeah, because that year we, we had beat Sydney in the semis, mm. and it was huge. I mean, we're leaving. It's like a half hour after the game. That car park behind the old entertainment Sydney Center is full of cars and, and people, and they're all singing, Sydney, oi, Sydney, oi. Yeah. You know, and like, oh, this is crazy. And they lost, you know. Mm. But it was huge there, and that, that was a big boost for us, and they had a really good team. And then in Perth, of course, to sell out crowds, and we had that. But that kind of carried over to the 94 season because I remember our first game was at home against Sydney. It was the first time uh, we sold out to a, a visiting team, like, in the regular season. So that was that was huge. So that carried over to the next year, too. Mm. Can you take me through some of the memories? Because obviously it was, a, it was sort of a back-and-forth game, that game three in Perth, Tigers get up big and then – Perth makes their run. They've got the crowd behind them. And obviously it all, a lot of it sort of stems on that Vlahov three with not long left that goes in and out. But can you can you talk me through what that fourth quarter was like 
as they were making their run and obviously the the pressure doesn't get any greater than that yeah it was nerve-wracking I, I thought we had them on several occasions and we never could put them away you know credit to them they, they had some great players and a great team and you're right with the the crowd and all that and um yeah i can remember vlahov shot it seemed to take like a minute <laughs> <laughs> you're like watching it and it looked like it was going in all the way and then spun out so um yeah we were a bit lucky and, and fortunate there but um yeah, I think, it, you know, we won it, so you always think, oh, that was a great series. But I do think it was a great series as mm. both teams were, were up and down and we were tough to defend and we had a hard time defending them. And, you know, it just comes down to making a couple big plays at the right time of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess when you look at that and the final siren goes and it's the first championship for the Tigers and there's the famous scenes of Andrew and Lindsay embracing <laughs> – um, but but what did that mean to this club, especially coming off the year prior where you had got so close and gone down to the Magic? What, what did that moment mean? Uh, yeah, it, it, you know, it was great. And you don't want to get there and lose again. Mm. So that would be a terrible feeling. But um, I, I guess that kind of spurred us on at, at the beginning. And, you know, obviously Mark coming in. And Lindsay always said, he said, uh, you know, the longer the season goes, the better for us because he knew it'd take a while for everyone to kind of, uh, you know, know the rules and, and play together. And that was a pretty good uh, prediction on his behalf, you know. And we were fortunate. We had a, a full roster. We, we didn't have injuries or, or anything. But, um, yeah, it, it, it was very special. I, I don't know how much we were thinking back to the 92 loss. I mean, obviously that hurt, and it hurt because it was, you know, the magic. Mm. You know, you rather lose to a Perth than the Magic because <laughs> we see those guys around, you know. But, uh, yeah, I, I guess, you know, we were determined to make the next step, and the expectation, I guess, was for that since we added Mark to our to our squad. But uh, it's never that easy. Where did Mark – where was he playing before that? Was he – Was he? when at, did he play in the NBA? At, he was Adelaide. He was, so he's – oh, yeah, I remember playing in Adelaide. You see the pictures on the wall of yeah. him, team pictures. I mean, his head is huge. I mean, he's a big man. He's, he already knows he has a huge head, but Every, he had everything about him is huge. He had Pretty an cool. incredible mullet. Did he have the mullet when he came? I mean, it, he, it, no, he did that in Adelaide. In Adelaide, it was like, yeah, like think like Def Leppard, like '80s <laughs> rock star. Like it, it was, um, it was. You couldn't look anywhere else. <laughs> Just, I mean, he he was a great athlete when he came up. He he went right into the NBA at like at 18 years old or something. I'm not sure how old he was. When we got him, and we were very fortunate, and that created a big thing with Adelaide. Yeah, but Adelaide wasn't happy. But um, he went to the Olympics and met Nicole there, oh. and then um, they they were going to get engaged. So yeah. he, he came to Melbourne because of me. Nicole. Yeah, yeah. It, Nicole Provis at the time, and then they ended up getting married. So it was us, the Magic, or or um, the Giants that he was going to go to, and I, I think. We might have the inside track with Drew knowing him from the boomers and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, we're very thankful that Nicole was living here. <laughs> and he was just a rebound <laughs> rebound machine. Right? Uh, he was great. Oh, I think, I think in that career, game, game three, I think he had 19 or 18 rebounds. That's what I thought, yeah, around 20. Uh, great on the boards, could run the floor, good defender, tough. Physical. Yeah, you, you couldn't move him. I mean, you, I played against him a bit. And you couldn't if he wanted to be in a spot like you couldn't. Didn't matter how low you were to try. He he was not moving from where he wanted to be. Yeah, no. It, it gave us a whole different presence. So we, 
we were always kind of like a finesse team, I guess you think. Mm. You know, that was a perception offense, you know, kind of soft or whatever. But um, Dave Simmons was tough, Bracky, Gizzy, Giddy, uh, Ray Gordon. You know, mm-hmm. we, we had a real physical element about our team, and uh, I think that kind of put us over the edge because probably prior to that we might struggle against some of the bigger, more physical teams. And, you know, with having Mark there and, and Simo as our two bigs, that – we, we could match it with anyone physically. Yeah, you talk about, like, all the names you're listing off, you're listing some of the biggest names who have played in the NBL and who have played for the Tigers. Can you talk to me a bit about, because it, it makes me sort of think back to this United team and all the depth that they've got, how important mm. just having that, you can have all the stars in the world, but just having sort of an even depth that you can rely on each other, how important that is on a potentially championship-winning team. Oh, yeah, you know, you have to have it. One, you have to have it just for training. You know, if you have a one group that's really good and it falls off, you, you know, you, they need to be challenged at training. So you need competitive guys there. They're pushing e- each other. And then, of course, during the season, especially now going back to a 40-minute game, you might not need as great as depth as maybe in our day with a 48-minute game. Mm. But um, those guys always have to be ready. Somebody goes down like Delhi the other day and, someone fouls out or someone does an ankle those guys have to be ready and sometimes that's a lot more difficult than than being a starter and getting into a regular routine so guys got to be ready to step up and they have to have the confidence to go out there and make plays and and contribute but that all starts on the training track so um as a coach or you know the teammates you know the ones coming in you know what 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 you're going to get and maybe Maybe the team's not quite the same, but you do maybe some things better and some things maybe not as well. But it gives you a different look. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to circle back to you sort of talked about when you won that championship in that sort of era, that was the height of the NBL. That was just Australia was really basketball crazy. And can you see any similarities between that era and where we're getting to now where the first four home games United have had nearly 10,000 in the building every night and it seems like every arena is selling out. Mm, it, mm. How exciting is that just to see that the NBL just seems to be back on the rise and, and getting back to that point? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I always think, I've always thought the NBL is a, a very good league and, you know, you think it gets better each year and, you know, it probably does. Um, there when we had our kind of maybe down times, it, it was teams had money problems and, um, and we you know, it wasn't getting the same, uh, it wasn't marketed as well as it is now. So I think the marketing's really helped the, the NBL. Uh, the talent obviously is there and it's getting better each year. And since I've been here almost every year, like the, there's the Olympics or this year we had the world championships, that seems to stimulate uh, mm. people with the game. And I've just heard of local clubs, you know, with the juniors that having crazy numbers of kids trying out. It's you know, it's just ridiculous. And I think right now basketball is just as as big as ever in this country, if not bigger, you know. Yeah, and as we head into Sunday, obviously it's gonna be a celebration of that that thirty year anniversary. Can you talk to me a bit about what as the years go by, as it gets to, you know, whether it's ten years or twenty years or thirty years you know, how important these moments are to you as, as someone who's been involved with basketball for so long? I mean, it's always good to reflect back on, on the times and like with the group getting together to see people you haven't seen for a, a real long time. 
And, uh, yeah, it brings back memories right away just even now because, um, you know, time goes on and you can't dwell too much in the past. But it, I, I think it's nice that, you know, the club United is recognizing the group and that was, our you know, their first championship and at, at the NBL level. And for someone like myself, I, I played with the Tigers pre-NBL and um, initially Lindsey wasn't keen on it. So we didn't go in and then we're like, Hey, Lens, you know, looks like a pretty good idea. And then since we declined the invitation, we had to win our way through. So the winner of the old Siebel would go in. Mm. So we made the final one year and lost to Geelong with Cal Bruton, and they went in. Then we made the final the next year and lost to Frankson, and they went in. And then the following year, they said, well, this will be the last year that the winner goes through. We won that year. We beat Willane, and finally we got in. So... You know, I was part of those days where we were trying to get in, trying to get in, trying, and then we get in. So as to do go from that to seeing us win the championship in, in Perth was amazing. Just the way the the game took off back then, because we used to play in front of like nobody at Albert Park and and all. And then all of a sudden, you're at Rod Laver, and there's fifteen thousand there. I'm like, yeah, fifteen thousand. I mean, that is. I'm like, how, get, how did this happen? <laughs> I guess these guys are better than we were. Yeah, <laughs> yeah finally got you out of there and some, yeah. some people come yeah, and some of them can play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Al, it's been it's been so great to hear a bit about that team and about that season and just get that context on the rise of the NBL and you know how excited you are for it now. So we really appreciate you coming in and telling those stories. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Well, if you haven't already got your ticket for Sunday, make sure you get in. It's our last Super Sunday in October game, 2 o'clock Sunday against the Hawks. We'll see a celebration for that 30-year anniversary. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Al. Thanks, fellas.